Today, almost every company is a tech company, and they are all riding a digital transformation wave that is disrupting the business and operating models of their industry. When digital transformation marches through an industry, the results can be devastating to companies that are complacent. Digital capabilities upend the way customers buy and consume your products and services. I'm Thomas Law, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association, and that is an excerpt from our most recent book titled Digital Hesitation, Why B2B Companies Aren't Reaching Their Full Digital Potential. And welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. In this episode, I will be joined by J.B. Wood, my writing partner and the CEO of TSIA. We will be exploring key concepts from our newest book, Digital Hesitation. And for those listeners not familiar with TSIA, we are a for-profit research institute, and we are on a mission to help our member companies run profitable technology business models that unlock real business value for customers. We perform deep operational benchmarking with the technology companies that are on the TSI platform. It is that data that informs the insights you will hear in this series. So let's get into it. And JB, uh, welcome. Your first visit here to uh, Tectonic. Uh, I expect it's not going to be your last. Uh, and today you and I are going to run through some of the key concepts of our latest book and, and hopefully motivate companies to lean in you know, to reach their full potential of digital transformation. Uh, but before we get going, I, I just want to say we had a blast in Orlando a few weeks back, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for inviting me to the podcast, Thomas. I mean, our conference, which is called TSIA Interact, it was really interesting. I, I think, you know, obviously, as people feel more comfortable getting back together again, in a business uh, environment, face to face, you know that was certainly there. There was a, lo- a lot of enthusiasm and pent up desire to yeah. to network and to to chat and to learn. But I, you know, for me, Thomas, the the most interesting thing was this sort of backdrop of what's happening in the stock market and what implications that is going to have on companies in in tech and industrial companies and and medical device companies and how management is sort of having to make this sudden pivot from, you know, growth at all costs to uh, I have to, I got to make money. I have to have a profitable business model. And that that just to me, there was this constant underpinning of almost every session and every speech and every everything about how the industry is sort of changing right Right in front of yeah. us. Yeah, I mean, the, well, you sent me that article. I can't remember if it was Wall Street Journal or not. Where it was talking about how now the VCs are, are coaching their companies to to ratchet down, and you got to make your money last. And 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 you and I were kind of both shaking our heads, saying, and we've been saying this for years that you have to be able to stand on a profitable <laughs> business model. And suddenly, in the current yeah. economic environment, you know, people you know have religion around that. So yeah, I agree. And, and you're right; it, it, it's happened very quickly. And it was. It happened before our eyes at that conference in terms of you know what people wanted to talk about, no doubt about it. But I think, uh, again, the content of this upcoming book is really apropos on that because you know the concepts in here are really about how tech companies are going to stand on profitable business models that, that really are delighting their customers. And so I want to really click into some of these key concepts with you. And I want to start with defining a digital transformation. Uh, you know, how would you describe 
digital transformation specifically for B2B companies? Well, you know, in the book, we really talked about, and I think you, you really classified it as sort of being wave one, wave two, right? And, mm-hmm. and wave one, in, for most you know, industrial and technology companies, we've been on this wave one ride now for a decade, right? And, and, but, but the definition of digital transformation for most tech companies during that period was some combination of moving to an as-a-service, you know, SaaS kind of portfolio or at least partial SaaS kind of portfolio mm-hmm. if you're a traditional company. And then at the same time, thinking about moving IT workloads into, you know, either the cloud or more more hybrid than they've been in the past. And I think, you know, I think you're right that those two have been sort of the workhorses of the messaging for digital transformation. But I got to tell you, I, uh, digital transformation, the bar keeps going higher and higher up and, and up. higher and higher. And even, even since we finished the book, my thinking around what digital transformation for B2B companies means continues to evolve. Lately, I've been saying that the next stage of digital transformation for B2B, is, it's not just about getting SaaS offers and moving you know, your, your IT workloads to the cloud. It's about redefining the value you deliver mm-hmm. and redefining the way you deliver that value. And those are pretty, <laughs> pretty big thoughts, yeah. right? Yeah. Redefining the value you deliver and redefining the way you deliver that value. It, it is, this is not an IT thing anymore, um, and this is not even just a product thing anymore. This is basically rethinking the way your company operates. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and you know, I think and we hit on this in, in the book, is that companies that aren't thinking big enough about the impact of digital transformation, um, you know, there's risk there. Right. And, you know, you know, you think about, you know, turn back the clock here. I mean, I'm sure we all have a soft spot for these, you know, poor local, you know, book mom and pop bookstores that were you know, disrupted by Amazon when they, you know, basically said, hey, we can do this in a much more digital way. But what we're putting on the table in this book is that, is that you know, every company, right, regardless of the market served or, or how big you are, could end up just like those mom and pop bookstores if they're not navigating aggressively a digital transformation. So, so you know, from your perspective, what do you think are some of the biggest risks that companies face if they're complacent in this conversation? Well, back to these two themes, right? So redefining the value you deliver. I mean, let's take a a traditionally hardware-oriented company, right? And and their perceived value to customers was a, a physical device that you know accomplished a, a task. And and now I, I think almost every hardware company will tell you that that the most compelling value that they're going to create is not the device, but the, the data that comes off the device is going to be yep. the, the new definition of value for their customers. And and imagine if you're not thinking like that. Right. If if you are if you're clinging to the speeds and feeds of my device as being my defining characteristic, when all your competitors are saying no, it's the data that that device is going to yield and, yep. and the insight we can play back to the customer that the customers are going to pay for. You're just you're an old company all of a yep. sudden, 
right? Yeah. Yeah. And and you're gonna lose you're gonna lose market share, and and so you have to be redefining that value in, in this digital age in a very compelling way. And the second thing is the journey that customers have to go on to enjoy that value has got to get way simpler, way faster, yeah. way better. And you know, you were talking about the the bookstore analogy. They were selling the same product, right? I mean, you know, you could you Basically, could go down yeah. to Barnes yeah. and Nobles and and buy the same book as you could on Amazon. But it was just such a better customer experience to buy it on Amazon. And so you could get cut out of the <laughs> of the value chain here in two ways. One is if you're not keeping up with redefining the value of your your business digitally for customers. And the second is if you don't redefine the customer experience to be a you know easy, enjoyable, exactly, yeah, yeah, right. Well, it, either it, one of those yeah. leave you in the far dark corners of the stock market. Yeah. Well, you know, for the for the future. Yeah, and you know, like we talked about in the book, I mean, this concept of complexity kills. I, I still think that that simple thought is is something that has not quite landed with these B2B companies, right? The, f- the fact that complexity truly is an enemy when you're dealing with companies. And, and, and you and I know, I mean, we, we talk to leadership teams, they'll say, well, you know, you guys don't get it. You know, we have really complex, you know, products and, and they're used in really complex ways and, you know, within our customers' environments. And, and, and it's like, yeah, I mean, we know that, that, that there is complexity there, but your, your, your mission should be to wring that out as much as possible because to what you're saying, if you don't do that, you're going to wake up and you're going to look dated. Your value proposition yep. Yep. is going to look incredibly dated. And, and like we said at the conference, I mean, you and I both hammered on this. There's a lot of market share that is going to be won and lost quickly over the next three to five years, you know, in terms of, you know, who's leaning in to these new capabilities and, and, and who's not. But I, I have to put this on the table, e- even with how big the stakes are. Right, and, and the risk companies are, are facing. We, you know, we, the subtitle of this book is Digital Hesitation, right? Because we see executive teams and boards hesitating. In fact, we had two chapters in the book dedicated to helping management teams and boards kind of break through this hesitation. And one of the points we make is that investors need to be guided through this journey. That if you are a company that you know sort of has you know value investors and they're just looking for that dividend or whatever. And they're they're not interested in hearing about the investments required, right, to build some of these new capabilities or unlock new revenue opportunities. Uh, and right now, in the current economic environment, I mean, you know, cash is king, and people are even even more, you know, conservative. And yet, again, if you just wait, if you sit here and say, "Well, I'm just going to wait until things get better economically," you know, our belief is every quarter that goes by, the risk is getting greater and greater that you can't catch up. So from your perspective, what are some of the tactics executive teams can use to help investors through this knothole of, you know, transforming the business model? Well, to me, it all starts where the CEO and the board stand Mm -hmm. publicly. And in my view, the end of the day, this is about being the company that your customers want you to be. And, and I don't know, you may have a bunch of shareholders who view their interests as being, you know, higher up in the, should be higher up in the management food chain than anybody else's. I, I would argue that's, that's not right, mm-hmm. right? That the major, the major voice in all of this is the customer. Yeah. And if the customer wants your business to be something 
today or in the, the near to midterm future that it's not going to be because you're hesitating, then nobody wins in that scenario. Yep. Those shareholders don't win. The, the employees don't win. Certainly the customers don't win. And if you can get your mind around that as a leadership team, as a board member, it's a pretty powerful place to stand. And it really is, I think, it, it's not, it's more than air cover. It's, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and if you say, hey, look, w- we deliver a certain amount of value today and we deliver it in a certain way. And that was great. That got us here, right? That yep. made us a public company that, um, you know, gave us whatever decades of, of, of growth. It is not what our company, our customers need us to be in the future. And either we ignore that or we underperform in that transformation, in which case our future as a business is not a very attractive future, right? We're not going to grow. Customers are going to choose our competition over us. We're going to get commoditized, all these horrible things that nobody wants. So either we do that, allow that to happen because we're worried about the short-term stock price impact, or we say in a very powerful way, we have a chance to define a new decade or a new generation of profitable growth for this business by making a series of, of investments that quite frankly are very exciting mm-hmm. um, and, and represent a better future for us um, than any other strategy. You know, better than being acquired, better than whatever. Well, better it than doing be. stock buybacks, and better than you know just yeah, paying right. the dividend or, or whatever. You know, what you put on the table there. You know, this powerful place to stand around being what I, I would just translate. You know, being cus- truly customer centric. And I think there are so many companies. By by the way, new and old, right? I mean, there 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 are born in the cloud companies, right? Who say, hey, we're really customer centric, uh, and that's our north star. But they are still today operating in a way that is not as customer friendly as it needs to be. And and they still also need to go through this journey that we're talking about. And again, like you said, we're talking about building capabilities that are you know, exciting and unlock. It's the trifecta. If you if you get this right, you're you, you're going to be you know customers are, are going to be re- realizing more business value faster. You know, your employers are going to be happier because they're going to be climbing up the value <laughs> ladder with their you know with their customers, and ultimately your shareholders are going to be happy because you know you're a player, right? I mean, you you, you know you're you're on a, a trajectory to grow your business, not stagnate. But it's you know yeah, and I, I I would just say I mean you know you're right about the last few weeks we've been having these kind of semi-funny, semi-not-very-funny conversations about the messaging that's coming from the, the venture world right now. It was literally weeks ago, in most cases, when the VCs were still telling their portfolio companies, grow, grow, grow. And in a B2B world, that meant hire more salespeople, hire more salespeople, hire more salespeople. Yep. And, you know, as we, we well know, lots of born in the cloud companies have cost of sales that's 50% of revenue, 80% of revenue, sometimes 150% of revenue. Now, all of a sudden, the messaging coming from all the leading VC firms is cut back, cost containment, lay off early, get your costs in line, all these things. Well, the reality is that growing a lot or assigning revenue growth linearly to Salesforce size, size, yep. right, 
it's just, it's not a digitally informed view, right? right? right. I mean, we can do better than this. Yep. And so this is, you know, to your point, this is not just an issue of 30-year-old companies or 50-year-old companies that are digitally hesitating. Some of the newest companies in the world are still being, their product may be delivered through a SaaS model, but the way they operate their company, yeah. it's still like a, a 30 or 50 year old company. I totally agree. Yep. You know, and, and that's, you know, because this book, I mean, I think ultimately is a hopeful book. We really believe that there are, as you said, you know, exciting investments to make, exciting levers to pull to, to specifically accelerate revenue in a way that does not involve, hey, you want more revenue? I need more salespeople knocking on doors. So what do you think are some of the, you know, let's give some examples of the capabilities, right, that, co- that companies can build to unlock accelerated revenue growth as they go through this digital transformation? Well, I mean, again, if you go back to these two cornerstone thoughts, right, which is redefining the value they deliver. And that's something, you know, that is a, that's a thought that is unique to every company, right? You know, depending on what industry you serve and where your expertise is and where your data is and all that kind of stuff, right? But you just, you know, that's one thing everybody's got to do sort of for themselves. Mm -hmm. But this question around redefining the way that they deliver that value there's a lot of universals. I mean, in the book, we kind of tongue-in-cheek talk about what it's like for a customer, a big corporate B2B. customer, to get a price on something, right. right? And it's like, literally, we lay out what they have to go through step by step by step, kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it was like 28 things. Mm-hmm. 28 things over the course of a month or two before a customer can get a price. And that's just crazy, Mm -hmm. right? And all of the labor that goes into dealing with the customer during the period and working with your CPQ system and working with your deal desk and doing all of these crazy things to do something simple, like be able to get a price. You know, that's just complexity that we have built up over the course of the years and it doesn't do anybody any good. It's delaying the time to value for customers. It's adding to your sales costs. It's adding to your IT costs because of, you know, instead of saying, how do we simplify our portfolio, right? Simplify, digitize. And so not only is this next generation of digital transformation going to be about creating new value, it's going to be about creating a customer experience that is better for the customer and cheaper for us to deliver. But we've got to go from the old way to the new way. And there's a lot of baggage there, right? There's a lot of, gee, do I really want to upset my channel partners? Gee, do I really want to upset my sales force? Gee, do I want to go do all these things in the process of of re-envisioning my customer experience as an example? And the answer is absolutely you have to do that. (laughs) And so it's about having a faster growing, more profitable business on the other side. And as a CEO or, or board, that's your job. Right to get to get us there. Yeah, absolutely, and, and I think in terms of these growth levers, right? That again, and even born in the cloud companies aren't pulling these as hard as they could be, should be. 
I mean, things that we, we talk about in the book, we talked about in Orlando, it is about product-led growth, the product itself driving growth. It is about more experience-led growth, where a combination of your digital customer experience and your customer success capabilities are accelerating revenue growth, right? Without salespeople potentially being involved. You know, you talked about working with the channel, reinventing that channel relationship so that you are building digital capabilities your channel can leverage to add to their value proposition and not just be a, a reseller of your technology, but really to be bolting on new value propositions. And so there's, there's lots of new levers here. And, and again, they're, they're digitally enabled, digitally driven, but they do require a different DNA, a different mentality on what you're investing in and what you're prioritizing. I mean, there's just, there's, and I think that's what we really see companies struggling to, to pivot <laughs> their mindsets in terms of what do I really focus on if I want growth? So it, it's, it's just, um, yeah. And I, uh, your, your statement about this is a hopeful book. It is a hopeful yeah. book, right? It, it does say it's not going to be easy, right. right? But it does paint a picture of where B2B companies should be heading right now, that's a very positive picture. It is a return to profitable growth and not this trade-off that everybody has succumbed to, which is growth or profits, pick one, right? And so saying, hey, we, we can go back to having both, which the tech industry and most industrial companies always had a period where they were growing and growing profitably. But all this capital, has, has, I think, ushered in an era where you have to choose, right? You have to overspend your current revenue in order to grow, or you cut back to be profitable and you don't grow. And, and not, I know neither you nor I believe that that's a, a valid or necessary trade-off. I totally agree. Um, and this book lays out a, a vision for uh, what that could do, be. Uh, basically to walk and chew gum at the same time. And, and we think, right, we exactly. think it's completely... Possible. So I, I have got to ask you this question because y- you did this closing keynote in Orlando, and I would classify it as impassioned. It was an impassioned call to action for sales transformation. So to watch companies, again, change and pivot their, their business models here, why are you so completely convinced that the sales function within technology companies has to transform? Well, I mean, first, let me say, I came up through sales and marketing, and I have run several sales organizations. Mm -hmm. And in my career, I would look at it and say that, quite frankly, of all of the functions of a company, a B2B company, the sales organization is probably the least transformed from its pre-digital roots mm-hmm. go back decades and decades as we've we've documented in previous books. And so there are lots of quote productivity tools to help sellers save time making phone calls or save time taking notes or know who to call tomorrow because they left themselves a note in their CRM system to make a call tomorrow. So there's lots of things, but the basic job of sales and the process that's been laid out for them has not changed in a long time. And I have often said that both sales and services in B2B companies are dealt a hand of cards by the rest of the company. And they can either be dealt a great hand, a high quality product, a highly differentiated product, a product that's easy to price, a product that's easy to service. They can be dealt a great hand by the company and they will win big time or they can be dealt 
a crap hand by the company. And they're going to have to work on unbelievably difficult challenges to win. Mm -hmm. And and I think sales, again, we build complex products. We make everything about them complex. We make the time to value long and PS intensive. We do all these things. And so sales, in order for sales to get the job done that they've been asked to go do, given the the hand of cards they've been dealt, they got to throw labor, yeah. massive labor yeah, to mass that at, complexity. The, at the problem, yep. yeah. right, to, to handle it. And you just look at the flat out amount of money that companies are spending on sales labor. And it's actually getting, it's trending in, in the wrong direction, not in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And the place to fix that is in changing the hand that the company is dealing to their sales organization or to their channel partners. And that time has got to come. We, we can't just live in an, an environment of increased competition, lower prices per unit, all the things that we see out there in tech and industrial segments, as many of them sort of either quickly or slowly move toward some degree of commoditization and sameness. You can't, at the same time that prices are going down, continue to spend more and more and more and more on sales. And so we've got to break the cycle. It's not something that sales can do by itself. Mm -hmm. We have to improve the quality of the hand that we're dealing them, and we've got to make their job easier. And it's frustrating because I think we have the ability to do that today, but everybody's so entrenched in the answer to how do I sell more is always, always starts with hire more salespeople. Yeah. And, you know, you said uh, just a little while ago there in the, in the fact that the sales motion, sales methodology is pretty much the same as it's been for, you know, ever since you and I have been in tech, right? And you can talk about things like, oh, we have a solution selling now, or we have a, a challenger sales model or whatever the new, we'll quote, sales methodology is, but it's basically still fundamentally the same thing, right? The salespeople, like you say, you know, masking the complexity, knocking on doors, solving that with labor. And we do believe, as we put in this book, that there are better ways here. And one of the things that we did is we updated our foundational model on layer, which is a customer engagement model of landing customers, then focusing on adoption, expansion, renewal. And we spent a lot more time talking about the land motions and we uh, created a new version or augmented version of of layer and it's called a player so tell the audience a little bit about how a player is different than layer a player is a very conscious effort to deal head-on with the conundrum that a lot of companies are finding and let me let me describe that conundrum a little bit so uh, you know any anybody who has moved to an as a service model for all their portfolio or part of their portfolio or they were born in the cloud they're realizing that revenue and revenue generation is moving from a upfront transactional event to a customer lifecycle series of events. And that the L in layer, which stands for land, is becoming less of a source of revenue. And expansion and renewal are becoming more of a source of revenue. And that the organization who's in the best 
positioned to drive the A in layer, which is adopt, is probably increasingly in the best position to drive the expand and the renewal. And so, and that organization, whether you call it customer success or whatever, we, we believe that. We believe that if you are the trusted advisor to the customer and driving adoption and value in whatever solution they started with, whether it was a, a $10,000 investment or a $10 million investment, whatever they started with is only a starting point. Mm-hmm. The question is, can you get them to not only renew, but constantly expand? And there are even pricing models out there today where it costs nothing to get started. There is no, is no revenue associated <laughs> yeah. with the land, right. Right? right? All of the revenue is associated with the adoption and the expansion and the renewal. And maybe even in some pricing models, there is no renewal. Right. You only pay for what you use. So in that case, it's all about the adopt and the expand. Mm-hmm. And so we've got to get super good. And I think the customer success organization is really, I mean, our data, TSIA data proves that they're getting better, more efficient, more effective. They're moving into expansion. They're handling renewals successfully, all these things. But the customer success organizations are never running at scale. And and why is that? Well, it's really hard to both continue to finance this huge land sales organization and in addition to that growing bill that you pay yep. every month for all the headcount in, in, in sales and grow this globally capable, proportionately sized customer success function. Yep. So that's the conundrum, right? And so the answer is that we have got to start calmly, smartly, systematically reducing the cost of the land and using part of that proceeds to either redirect labor in or other investments into customer success or increase the quota responsibility of the people who remain in sales and take that additional revenue and invest a portion of it in scaling customer success. So how do you really fundamentally get started? We, in, in the A player model, which stands for analytics, placement, land, adopt, expand, renew. We believe that companies have the data now to be able to perform very compelling analytics on their existing customers. What industry are we successful at? What solutions are the companies buying? What business outcomes are they trying to achieve? How are they going about training their employees? It goes, what configurations did they embrace, right? It goes on and on and on. There's all this data that sits in the various systems of most companies that if we took a page out of what marketing did, right? Marketing, before Google came along, every time they wanted to run a marketing campaign, it was a scientific wild ass Mm -hmm. guess, right? It It was a bet. And now they know every bet they place, they can tell you exactly what return they got. They can tell you how many eyeballs, how many click-throughs, how many everything. And they learn to get smarter and smarter and smarter about placing their bets because they have data and analytics that help them place those bets. We can do the same thing with the sales organization. If we 
take, extrapolate all the insights we can get from our existing customers and our current sales, and we say, okay, right now, these solutions work really well in these industries at companies of these size, by selling to the CTO, and, you know, go on and on and on, and then say, who are all the companies in the prospect universe, not just our own existing customers, but in the prospect universe, that meet all of these criteria, success conditions that we're finding in our own customer base, and really open up opportunities for the salespeople, yep. put them with the right solutions at the right time to the right kind of companies, we're going to dramatically increase our win rates. We're going to dramatically improve our need to discount. We're going to do all these great things that are going to start systematically improving the productivity of sales by doing things in a different way than we have done it before. And, and it's not just really in sales. It's about analytics and placement across the life cycle, right? Putting the right resource in the right stage of the customer life cycle with the right data and the right tools. And we think this is the way to attack the conundrum by really dramatically improving the productivity of the land motion. And then, as I said, either moving some labor savings over to customer success investments or by increasing the quotas on the sellers because they've got, quite frankly, more and better opportunities than they've ever had before. Either one is a way to break the conundrum and, and get into this new world. Well, two, two reactions to what you said. I mean, first of all, we know from our data, there's just so much headroom in the land motion with sales leveraging data and analytics. I mean, we know it's a coin toss if sales organizations are leveraging current marketing analytics. It's a coin toss if sales organizations are leveraging a service incident information. It, and it's a minority practice by far for sales organizations to be leveraging outside data sources about their customers, right? Industry data, financial news, et cetera. So there's tons of, of headroom there to get better efficiencies in with this A-player approach. The other thing I'll, I'll react to, you know, this, well, we'll call it the sales dividend, right? Being able to fund and scale customer success because you don't have to put as much resource into sales. I mean, that's something that you put squarely on the table in, in Orlando. And it's interesting because I just saw an email today. I don't know if you saw it yet, but one of our members who attended the conference, they reached out and they, they want you to come in and talk to their CFO and their CEO about that conversation, right? Because this person's running customer success and they're like, I need yeah, you right. to come and help make the argument. And I think that we're going to have a lot of people raise their hand and say, please come and help tell that story because that pain is real, right? That financial conundrum is real and, and it cannot stand. Companies have got to break through it. In Orlando, when I, there's a, a slide, it's in the book and it talks about using analytics to place the right seller at the right prospect at the right time with the right solution, with the right experts and all of these things. And I think there were like, I, I don't know, maybe on this slide, maybe a dozen or 15 quote, right things, mm -hmm. right? What, and, and I asked, there's a, what, a 1,200 tech executives in, the, in that room that day. And I said, how many of you are doing this today? And not one hand yeah. went up, not yeah. one. And so, you know, they may be doing one of the 12 or two of mm -hmm. the 12, or, but nobody's doing it all. And it's all possible, yeah. right? It is time, again, and I don't lay this at all at the feet of no, sales. No, not at all. It is about the rest of the company improving the quality of the hand yeah. 
that they're dealing to the sales organization to go do its yep. job. Yep. And if they improve the hand, sales will yep. do it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, yeah, this is this. Trust me, this book is not a condemnation of sales in any way, shape or form. It's basically just looking at the reality of how tech business models need to change to stay profitable and grow and again really delight their customers and drive business value and i I think that these are just the realities of of what companies are going to have to work through so you know i think in this discussion we i think hopefully we've put enough on the table here to whet people's appetite about uh, content within the book is there any other sort of top of mind concepts in the book you want to get on the table here at, at this point yeah, one one thing. I mean, we've we've talked about the importance of simplification, mm-hmm. and it, it is super important. I mean, it, you know, we've all been around the, the digital world to know if you try to automate a really bad, complex process, you're going to land up with trouble. Yeah. And so you got to simplify first, mm-hmm. right, and then automate. And one of the things that, and, and we, you and I, and everybody at TSIA, we see this every day, which is the tool of choice for managing. B2B companies has been managing departmental income statements, mm-hmm. right? What is here? I have my professional services PL, I have my support PL, I have my product BU PL, I have all these PLs, and I add them up at the end of each quarter, and that's my company PL, yep. right? And that approach that sent the message to all of those department leaders that they're gonna be measured on how well they run their individual businesses within the business. Unfortunately, that has made its way all the way into the customer experience. So you could have sales, which is not very digital. You could have customer support, which is highly digital customer experience. You could have a, a PS experience, which is different than those other things, right? So traditionally, we approached every problem as a department by department problem, and we got departmental solutions to those problems. And in in the new world, we have got to think about users and the journey that they're going to have with us across their life cycle, right? Whether they're buyers or system administrators or, or end users, they're going to have a journey across their life cycle with us. And we have to stop thinking about departmental experiences, and we have to start thinking about user journeys across all departments. And that is going to be super hard because, again, everybody is still being held responsible for their, the margins and so forth of their own P&L. And now all of a sudden to start saying, wow, I'm, I have to take on some costs in my department to help another department further down the customer life cycle, that's just sort of not natural for us. And so companies have really got to strengthen their ability and strengthen the messaging around the importance of standing in the shoes of customers and prioritizing user journeys or buyer journeys rather than departmental P&Ls and departmental experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And one way that we kind of phrase that with members when they're you know, trying to get their heads around that, because uh, I agree with you completely, right? That the, the tyranny of the departmental P&L cannot stand because it is creating yep. this dysfunctional stovepipe customer experience. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, the only sort of P&Ls that we think are going to matter 
are number one, do you have a profitable offer? And by that, you know, for, so all the technology, the services, everything involved as a company, when you, the cost to deliver that offer, do you make money on it in the marketplace? Yes or no. And secondly, do, do you have profitable customers? <laughs> are these customers, you know, again, when you look at, you know, the time and treasure you put into the customer, is that a profitable customer? And, and those are the anchors, right, in terms from, from the P&L perspective. And then the overarching thought is, again, are we creating the best end-to-end customer experience? Um, yes or no. But you and I know th- that is not a insignificant shift for this industry. <laughs> that is not a small no, shift. No, and, and there's going to be, honestly, there's going to be some people who listen to this podcast and and say, you know, that's probably all true, but not between me and retirement. Right, yeah. that's, that's absolutely right. right. And, and that thinking is super dangerous yeah. because, I mean, you can get behind really fast yeah. and it's really hard to catch up with other companies that are are moving quickly. Yeah, I, again, to what we were saying at the opening here, I mean, that that is, I think, one of the greatest fears you and I have for companies that, that we work with and TSI members is you've always called it the manana strategy, right? If it's like, hey, I worry about this manana because I'm going to retire in five years or eight years or whatever. It's just, but the clock is ticking and every quarter that goes by. Yeah, or this is not a good yeah, quarter. This, yeah, not this quarter. Not, not this quarter. Not this quarter. Well, look well, at the economy. Yeah, look at the industry. Comes, not, yeah, there's right? always a reason that right. it's not this quarter, but yeah. Well, let, one right. final question. What do you want readers to do with this book, right? What's their call to action? It's it's one of the you know the biggest books we've we've put out. It's got a lot of you know great content in it. What do you want them to do with it after they read this book? Well, I, you know it's interesting. I mean, things like this podcast which are more consumable for senior executives than a three hundred and fifty page book. Right. So I mean, I I do think that getting the C suite and specifically, I'm going to say that the CFO to start embracing some of the core concepts in this book. And hopefully that CFO can act as a unifying force to bring together the board, the CEO, the departmental executives, and say, hey, look, you guys, this is a true statement, right? Our customers are going to want us to be something different tomorrow than what we are today, and we got to get there, Mm -hmm. and it can be done. And feeding, whether it's the podcast or certain chapters of the book, to the the executives who can act as a catalyst for transformation and overcome hesitation. It's really everybody's job. And quite honestly, if your company isn't one of these companies who is willing to transform, is that really the company that you want to stay for the rest of your career, right? right. So it's almost like a no-lose deal to go out there and try to be a change agent because if nothing happens, you're going to be wanting to go to somebody else Anyways, but this is, I feel, an obligation that everybody has to their current employer is to help educate them on some of the the content here and give them the confidence to say and do the hard things that are necessary to get to a bright future. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no doubt there is top-down business model transformation that occurs when the executive team and the board, they say, hey, we really want to lean into this. But I do believe in the power of bottom-up transformation in the sense that you know, if you're a company and all of a sudden your best and brightest are walking out the door because they're saying, hey, you don't have the vision and you're not leaning into this and this is not where I want my career to be five years from now, that's going to send a loud message. Yeah. It, it really is. And, and I, yeah. I agree with you. I mean, I think um, if you're a professional listening to this, this is, in my mind, sort of a no-lose. I mean, you got you got to sort of pick up the gauntlet here and say within your company and say, you know, are we, are we 
willing <laughs> to lean into some of these tough changes because we want to be here. We want to be competitive. We want to be successful. We want our customers to be successful or not. And if the answer is or not, it's good to know that because I, I say pick up yeah. your marbles and go somewhere else. I think that's the reality. Yeah. And the last thing I would say is that I agree the bottoms up approach is, is certainly helpful. The, the problem is what I was saying before, that the bottoms up approach often stops at the fence yeah. between my department and the next yeah. department over. Yes. Yeah. And only the top-down approach where they're going to knock down yeah, fences and say, we've got to start operating and thinking and funding and measuring differently as a company than the siloed P&L no approach doubt. that that we've used successfully for the last 50 years. Yeah, you can't get all the way there just bottoms up. There's no doubt about that. Well, hey, Jay, it was a blast having you on Tectonic here. And I think, you know, we've earned a break from writing, but I think now we get to move into evangelizing. That's the next phase with these books. So we're, we're entering that phase. And as always, I like to end with the big question of the day. New digital capabilities will disrupt your industry. That is a given. The only question facing your company is will you benefit from that disruption or suffer? Thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.